Uh, welcome to AGS Corporate Finance Podcast. Uh, I would like you to introduce you to Simon Lloydbottom from Alinea. Welcome, Simon. Hi, Steve. Thank you. Good to be with you. Great, great. Um, just, just tell people uh, a little bit about what Alinea does. Yeah, thank you. It's interesting because you, you introduce it by calling it corporate finance, and, and that is what our industry is called. But I often think it, uh, it doesn't describe what we do very well. So, um, you know, corporate finance and you know, specifically us at Alinea Corporate Finance, we spend our time helping company owners understand and execute on their options for succession. So not all of our clients, but a good majority of our clients are coming up to or thinking about retirement, thinking about the next steps, thinking about the succession of their company. And really, our role is to help them understand what their options are and then obviously be able to help them execute on on any any plan that we agree is best for them. Um, So it's interesting because I think when people hear corporate finance, they think it's about raising money, which in, in many cases it can be and it is. Uh, but that isn't a full description of what we do and what we can offer. Because um, yeah, that is a small niche element, isn't it, really? It is a bit, a bit misleading, struck word, that is. So, um, so yeah. yeah, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you've pointed that out. Because many times when we, we talk about corporate finance, I have clients come to me asking about just raising funding, but not the old... People person. think it's lending. It, exactly right. that. Yeah, it's the, it's the misconception. It's, I think the industry's got itself so far down, a, down the, uh, the line, it's hard to redefine it now, but... Yeah. Ultimately, as we get into this conversation, you'll see it's about far more uh, than, you know, just raising a bit of finance. Raising a bit of finance is often an ingredient of something much bigger that we'll be doing with a client. Well, look, well of course, the last couple of years have been interesting, to say the least, Simon, haven't they? So how do you, how do you feel that's had an impact on people selling and the sort of deals and people's attitude to wanting to sell? Yeah. Motivating yeah. them to sell? Interesting question. And yes, it has been an interesting time. And I don't say that lightly because I recognize that it's been a significant impact in so many different ways for us as an economy, from health, for families. So, yeah, don't don't in some of the things that I'm going to reflect on just in the relation of deals, obviously take into consideration that, it, that it, you know, it's been a challenging period of time for many. I think interestingly, when COVID first started, I think probably across the industry, there was that sense of everything's going to grind to a halt. Uh, but, but actually, whilst we probably had one or two months of things slowing down as people were trying to work out what does this all mean? And, you know, we, you know it, it, when we went into lockdown, we had deals that were right in the middle. In fact, we have one that we just signed an agreement, you know, the heads have turned with a buyer and we were just about to go into due diligence you know and, and literally a week later lockdown happened so it, you know deals were at all sorts of different stages uh, when it started I, I think after that initial period of uncertainty what uh, then followed was actually quite interesting and, and I think when you look at some of the statistics behind what I'm just about to say it paints the picture so if I if I give you the statistics first, and then we can chat between us a little bit about what actually happened, uh, you know, live cases in terms of some of the deals that we were working on and, and clients that we were helping. So if you look at the number of deals in the UK um, that were taking place, and by deals, I mean company sales uh, or management buyouts, and we'll get into that um, a little bit in a minute. So the number of deals per month in the lead up to um, the lockdown were averaging around about 340 transactions each month. 
So that was that was the average. So if I take that's the pre-COVID, if I take the COVID period, and I know that's a challenge because many would say we're still in it. So it's hard to say when it when it when it ended. But if I just take it up to the end of December 21, for example, you can actually see, and I scribbled down some of the statistics just before we came in, uh, that actually up to December 21, so from that March 20 onwards, deals averaged 410. So beforehand, it was 340 per month. During that period, it increased to 410. In fact, one of those months, it went up to 700 uh, deals in one month. And that was March 21. But the reason being, as you well know, is that there was, off the back of all the COVID and all the support from the government, there was a massive concern in the industry and amongst clients more that tax rates for capital events would change significantly from the favorable rates that they benefit from. And so the March 21, a surge of 700 was March 20. It was the budget that was causing that to surge. Uh, And, you know, many people, I know you were seeing a lot of activity. We certainly saw a heightened level of activity there as well. So you got this kind of little bit of rush. And I think what we were saying, I think it was the right advice is, you should never let tax drive the transaction. So if you weren't doing a transaction, don't suddenly do a transaction just because of tax, because there's lots of other reasons and dynamics in a transaction, which are probably going to be at a disadvantage if you rush something through. But what we were saying, we had a number of people that we were talking to uh, from a management buyout restructuring point of view, which actually we were kind of saying, look, if you are, we are thinking of doing a deal anyway, let's, you know, it might be a good idea to complete something in good time so that if there were any changes, you don't miss out. And I think that's what you were seeing. We did see a few people in, in and around trying to get a deal done when they weren't doing a deal. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I don't ever think that's the right thing to do. Uh, it's, it's interesting you say that because it's not just on, on, on that uh, selling of a business, but it applies in asset acquisitions and different things, the wrong motive the tax saving as opposed to a good commercial yeah. reason for doing it. Then there's a tax, the time for the benefits of tax. Yeah, we, exactly. We at AGS had a number of deals before, uh, before the 5th of April. Uh, I think we, we, we saw clients who, when we came out of COVID, were a little bit tired. You know, the, the energy was sapped out of them a little bit. And yeah, and I, think, I think the desire to sell was, uh, was on the agenda. Some followed that through for a number they flirted with the idea and then they they refocused their mind and they were back into the business. And well, I think uh, there has been a, a little bit of a change around that. Yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a really good point. Let me, I'll tell you what, let's come back to that point. Let me just, so, the, just, so that's up to the December 21 this year. So FY22, so um, just uh, uh, calendar year 22. Deals so far this year are averaging um, about 450 a month. Yeah. So, so again, that heightened level is sustaining. Yeah. Um, and so to go back to your point, which you've just made, which I think is exactly the right one, is that so what we've seen in a number of the transactions that we've been involved in over the last sort of 12 months, 18 months, is you've actually got people who've been thinking about selling for a long time. But if let, let's wind the last 10 to 15 years back. You know, we had we had the financial crisis, you know, the credit crunch, as it were, all the way back there. And then that, that took a while for lending to recover, economies to recover, confidence to regain. And, and almost, not quite, but almost, as things got to a point of, okay, actually, we're back on track, 
then the mention of Brexit started. But of course, the mention of Brexit to the fulfillment of Brexit, that was several years. Yeah. You know, we had the threat of it to begin with. Then we had it actually uh, voted through in the referendum. Then we had all the political un- uncertainty. But then we actually had the process of it going through. Yeah. And, you know, that spanned a number of years. And then the reality is so many people miss Brexit because we were all, you know, isolating at home, uh, hiding from COVID. And actually yeah. Brexit went through whilst we were all doing yeah. that. Yeah, and it, so, But you've got to think from somebody who's been thinking about selling for a while, they, you, you, uh, you, you know, naturally as humans, we want to wait for the best opportunity to do something. So if you reflect on the last 10 to 15 years, you almost feel just as you get into the point that yeah. it's going to make sense, something else happens. and you're almost frustratingly back back to square one so we've definitely had a number where like you said they've just got to the point of thinking do you know what we just need to get on with this is this and and now here we are hyperinflation and challenges ahead of us we're we're in the same cycle yeah yeah so so when 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 businesses generally approach a linear and yourself at what what points do you uh, what there are different times some will want to sell some will be thinking about selling so what are the things that you cover off when you're looking at a client who who is looking to exit what are the options that you you would consider for them yeah good good question i mean first and foremost you, you talk about the when i don't think you can ever start thinking about this stuff too soon in fact we were involved in something uh, selling a business um during during the pandemic and actually that was that was one of those sort of freak uh, examples of somebody uh, started a business and then within six to seven years they'd sold it but and that's a short time frame so I'm not saying that's normal but the point is they started it thinking about the end so you know they I just think for any company owner you know we we would often say you know you need to be having conversations we we often have conversations with people two to three years in advance and actually contrary to what people would think you know our advice would be you know, don't sell now. You know, we're, we're never in a rush to do something with people because we want people to prepare well for what they're about to do. So, you know, a good two to three years, you know, there are a number of uh, things which we can get into later that, that people should go through as a thought process. In terms of options, and again, I don't think in this uh, time together, we've got time to go into each one in detail. But, you know, generally when we help people think through what are their options. So, you know, the one that people will be most familiar with is a straight out sale to a similar business. We would call that a trade sale. So often the buyer will be a bigger, uh, maybe a bigger version of what they do or or a complementary. They're in the same industry, but they've got different customer groups or they're serving the same customer group, but they do a different service. So you've got complementary attributes about the, the seller and the buyer. So that that would be a trade sale. Typically, a corporate buyer in that scenario is going to want to buy 100% of the company. Um, So, you know, that that would be the sort of clean exit um, option. You've then also got, and again, during pandemic times, we saw a lot more of this because it's within the control of the owner. You've got transactions like management buyouts. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to be clear, that's the management team buying the shares from the existing owners now most people when you start having that conversation most people will come back and say well yeah my management haven't got any money well that that's also normal Um, so the purpose of a management buyout is to be able to go to the market with a business plan and an opportunity and raise funding to enable the management team to be able to buy the shares now that funding can come from a bank a debt provider so it can be debt money or it could also come from an investor. You know, we call them private equity houses. 
who would invest money into a transaction and also take a stake in that company as well um, to facilitate a greater payment on day one. But obviously, they're going to benefit from that future growth by having a shareholding in that business alongside the management team as well. Mm. Um, and actually, you get some transactions. Sorry, just just the final thing. You get some transactions that actually have no funding. And it's mm. the sellers who say, do you know what? We, we don't want to overstress the business. We just want to put what we call a loan note in place, which is a mm. promise to pay over a uh, you know over a period of time with a rate of interest attached to it. And that's attractive because... You know, often people say, what am I going to do when I get this, you know, several million pounds? They're going to go and find and put it somewhere to get a rate of return. They, they want an income from it. So some people think, well, actually, I'll leave my money in the business and I'll get it paid over a time, but get a rate of interest because where better to put my money than the company that I've owned for the last 20, 30 years and I still have influence over. Well, that's where we work together on tax clearances and things like that, making sure that falls in place and in line with the, with the exactly. a, a, SPA, etc. Um, it's interesting yeah. when you're talking about selling and, and uh, selling to a third party in MBOs because what you're really saying to the companies basically is you want to set an in, a, a, a management structure in place that is appealing for you to be able to run the business without being involved, but also then makes it appealing to sell the business to a third party. But you've almost introduced a management team then, if they to, as an option. To buy the business as well, aren't you? So you, you're actually, by yeah. creating that internal structure, you, you, you're you creating another marketplace for your business as well, aren't you? So it has a, t- a two-pronged attack, doesn't it, really? Yeah, like it, Steve. It's a, it's a really good point. And, and actually, you know, when, when we're talking about some of the key areas that we can talk to people in advance um about preparation you know management team and senior management team is absolutely one of the key points and you're absolutely spot on that putting a solid management and team in place to be able to talk to a trade buyer and say look the business is well run the day-to-day operations are overseen by a management team you know you're not going to have to babysit this as a division in your your group is a fantastic message but you're absolutely right. As a company owner, it also gives you a plan B if that doesn't work. Or it could, your, it could be your plan A. You could believe in that management team so much that actually, you know, philosophically, I want the management team to have it. That's something that I really believe in. Um, and, you know, we're also seeing that, again, not want to get in now, we're also seeing that with employee ownership trusts, you know, yeah, actually being able to sell into an employee ownership trust because we believe that that's the right thing for the employees to have ownership going forward. Yeah. But but you are right. It does give you options by putting that management team in place. But you and I both know, and I'm sure, you know, anyone listening to this that runs a company knows, you just, that's not a quick process. To put a, a you know a successful management team in place is not a twelve month process. Yeah. It's got to have longevity to it. Yeah. So I mean, do you see many? Do you see many partial exits then, um, yeah. Um, Simon? Um, well, yeah. So, you know, I suppose if you've got a management team, sometimes um, they want the involvement still of the exiting or partial exiting shareholder. Um, do you see? Yeah. You know, do you see most of them as clean breaks or partial? Partial yeah, again, good, good question. We, we see a mix. So again, I think it's the stage of life that the owner is at. Yeah, yeah. we've definitely been involved in somewhere they're you know, maybe 70 plus at that kind of age. And actually, they really, they really are done. But then we do get a number where 
they still want to have that involvement um, and still get some of their identity from mm. being involved in the ownership of the company. But they're also recognizing they've got this great people behind that could facilitate an MBO, but yeah. potentially yeah. Yeah. could maybe even in front of a funder, they're not the full offering. No. So actually, again, this works well with funders that somebody's in that position. It's almost like a phase one yes. Yes. of an eventual exit. And, and actually, yes. specifically, HMRC want to understand so that to get this as a capital event, the yes. tax office has to be happy that yes. this isn't just you taking a load of money out of the business and then still carrying on as normal. You know, yes. it needs to be a capital event. So it has to be part of an exit. So, yes. you know, you talk about tax clearances, you know, whenever we do these where people are remaining in the company, you have to get tax clearance to make sure that HMRC aren't going to later challenge the fact that this is actually a capital event. Yeah. But we do see a number where people will, will keep stakes in the company and have a role. And actually, that's good for them because they still want to be involved, but also it gives them protection as well yeah. over their yeah. money that might be left behind if they do have money that's left behind. Uh, and also it can give confidence to a funder as well that, you know, this isn't a cut and run. We're still here. This is part of a longer plan. It's part of yeah. transitions, part of succession. Um, yeah, th those can work really well and they present well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, we do see a number of we, we see a number of both. Yeah. So really, when you, so you, you, somebody would sell a business outright, somebody could do a part, uh, an MBO, somebody could do a partial exemption. And actually, somebody could end up doing nothing, couldn't they, actually? So, so when they come to you, you yep. I suppose really you're positioning their mindset as to whether they really want to sell as well. So, so really, devil's advocate, call it what you will, is having a proper conversation with somebody and recognising whether that's the right thing to do. And, uh, and I think it enables people to then focus on that exit if they really want to do it or be challenged enough to consider staying within the business and actually recognising they don't want to leave. And yeah, don't want it's, to it's, it is interesting because I do think, and again, I don't think people expect it from us because obviously they come to us to talk about our services. And one of yeah. our questions is you, you may not need us. Yeah. because actually you do get some people depending on the size of the business who they might have family ownership over a company but have a fantastic yeah. management team in place that are running it day to day yeah. so actually you know if you incentivize that management team correctly and that that may not be about doing a partial exit and giving the management yeah. team a controlling stake through yeah. things like emi yeah. you may be able to give meaningful stakes and incentives to yeah. um you know minority management team that actually mean they're well incentivized, they're well paid, uh, but you don't have to exit. Yeah. Where we generally find clients go with that, though, is, and I remember one saying it to me, it's that whole concept of even though there's a great management team in place, the buck still stops with me. Yep. <laughs> and actually what I'm looking to get rid of is that feeling of the buck yeah. stopping with me. Yeah. And really the only way you do that is to not have a controlling stake yes. <laughs> in that yes. business. Yes. Um, so it's interesting you do find some but they are rare where they are happy to keep that all in place and actually mm -hmm. benefit from you know ongoing profitability of that company mm -hmm. going forward yeah no no i absolutely agree with you there i mean the timing when actually people come to talk to you yeah it shouldn't be i'm selling it tomorrow should it? i think you alluded to this earlier on somebody may come to you three to five years early you might need to build a management team you might need to develop processes you might need to go through a phase where your business needs to transit into that place where it can be sold. 
And then you, through that process, you may then consider all the options of sell, partial, do nothing. But, so yeah. working with Alinea, and I know we work together on this quite a bit in AGS. Yeah. This is where we can add value, I think, as a, as a partnership to take clients down that journey. Massively. With a outcome. Yeah, massively. So I think, you know, if there's one takeaway from people listening to this, I think that the concept of you, you can never think about this too soon. And I think, you know, a number of our clients will probably have been guilty of thinking about it, but held off talking to somebody because they probably fear that once they start talking to somebody, they're going to get pestered or, you know, they just they don't want to open up the box uh, and yeah. start it too soon. Yeah, we, we have a number of conversations with people where we just we'll just happily sit and, and give our time to say these are the things that I think over the next two to three years you need to think about. And you know what, Steve, none of this stuff is rocket science. And you know, a lot of this is about having a plan and intention and probably somebody just to keep you accountable along the way. Yes. But you know, let me let me just give you, you know, three or four sort of you know key high level points. I mean, number one, even how we present the financial information. You know, a lot of companies, and again, maybe one for another day, but a lot of companies and the way that transactions happen uh, is valuations of companies are based on the profitability of a company. So first and foremost, what is that underlying profitability of the company? And and more importantly, what's the trend in that profitability as well? You know, it it could be. So, for example, we we talked to a number of people where actually they show this all this profit in in the P&L. But they themselves are taking the skinny national insurance limit for their salary. Yeah. So there's, there isn't actually a managing director's salary cost in that P&L. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if there's more family members that are shareholders or, or other people that are shareholders that don't put a cost through, you could easily have a hundred to two hundred thousand pound of cost missing yeah. from a profit. Yeah. Likewise, you get a number of owners that, you know, close your ears, but might put some things through the company. Um, don't know if we're allowed to say that. But again, it's about normalizing the profits and, and actually being able to present something clean to a buyer without owner-manager costs in it. Yeah, well, well, people can have exceptional costs, can't they? And those are costs of one costs that may not be recurring. So what you're trying to do, I think what you're trying to say there, Simon, is you've got a profit, you've got a profit, there is a multiple, and the multiple is probably a, another question I'll ask you in a second, but you've got a profit, then you've got to adjust that profit to reflect a reasonable salary for people, uh, for the directors. So it yeah. may well be that they're on a, a, a smaller salary and having largely dividends. And there may be costs that they've had in there that are exceptional, um, be exactly. it a legal claim, be it whatever, that would exactly. be an ongoing cost. So that's exactly. an important part of moving that P&L account in the right place. And from, from your point of view, I know I've worked with you a lot, is getting that recognition of what that multiple then looks like, because it's industry specific, isn't it, sometimes? So yeah. you want to make sure you get the best value from your from your profit stream. So it's not just profit, it's multiple as well, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, one of the most frequently asked questions for me is, you know, what's the multiple on my business? And, you know, people get you know, re- really hung up on that. And, you know, everybody's, you know, everyone seems to have a, a mate down the pub that sold their business for 20 times profit. You know, it's a fascinating area of conversation. I would say multiples and valuations are a mixture of science and art. (laughs) There are lots of scientific, you know, research and information and data, which can help us understand multiples and what multiples are relevant for sectors. But you've also got the art side of it, which is negotiation. You've got the, yeah. the scarcity of the asset yeah. in the market. You've got the strategic value value to a specific purchaser, which would yeah. cause them to pay a higher multiple than somebody else. 
Yeah. So there's so many factors which go into multiples. I would say historically in the UK for companies that are, I don't know, a million EBITDA and upwards and, and very sort of standard, you know, anywhere between a four and a six times multiple would probably be the norm. I would say that we've seen in the last 12, 18 months, along with the increase in the volume, we have seen pricing strengthen. So multiples mm-hmm. getting higher. And I would say we're seeing at the moment deals happen where, you know, they are strong, strong prices being paid. Valuations are are good for the right businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are right as well that it is sector specific and you're always going to get some sectors. So you talk about IT, whether it's IT services, software, things like wealth management. You know, there are a number of very specific markets healthcare. which are seeing really high. Absolutely. Healthcare. So, you know, who are seeing really strong multiples. But I would say even for, you know, strong engineering businesses, um, you know, across the UK at the moment, even those, you know, for good businesses, we're seeing good prices being paid. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's, that's been excellent, uh, Simon. I mean, the, the main thing I think coming from that then at the end, really, when you talked about working with the clients, is actually planning, planning a process and keep reviewing where that client's at. So you're making sure that, when you're putting that management team together, if you recognise what the EBITDA is, you recognise the multiple, it might not be the figure you want, but how can you manage waste out that business? How can you create a structure that might bring more value to the business? And therefore, you can enhance that profitability and by the very nature of doing that, enhance that value. And yeah. I imagine that you, you see quite a bit of that, don't you, really, in terms of holding a case, working with the client, consulting with the client, and then, and then actually they may end up doing nothing but at some stage they will probably do something but they're well set to sell the business to all yeah. the, uh, uh, the the uh, sell the business MBA, we, exit etc yeah yeah we would have a lot of confidence that even in an early conversation there are things that we would pick up on and can it and can give advice on that yeah. that would add significant value in the process uh, and to a you know that would pound notes you know to to people's back pocket um, yeah, there are more other more complicated mechanisms in selling a company. It's not just the valuation, but you've also got what's the free cash in the business that we yeah. can extract. Yeah. And again, not one for now, but yeah, there's lots of detail in there in terms of the negotiations that we would bring. That again, with a little bit of uh, thought in advance, you can add proper pound notes to people's back pocket as to how you do a deal. Yeah. Well, I mean, the strength of our relationship, we just we're just doing a. Uh... A sale with you now, aren't we? The, the strength of the relationship is being able to work together, Absolutely. understand what each other needs, and all, yeah. also react quickly, which is important. You know, and sometimes when you get to the cutting edge of a deal coming into place, you do need that focus as well, don't you? Know, making sure that everybody's in tune with that you turnaround do. time of information because you don't want to lose that buyer. Yeah. One there on the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the one thing you know that is certainly refreshing about working with you guys is that you're you're very much there through the process uh, and playing a you know a strong, a very strong support role in in not only providing the information but providing some insight into that information and how that might impact on the deal. Um, so yeah, absolutely. It's uh, yeah, it's, and and also I think you've got to enjoy it and have fun. You've got to you've yeah. got to you've got to enjoy working with the people. You know, these are we often say with our clients. You know, this is 
you know, for many, uh, you know, maybe after getting married, uh, don't know, but for some, this is one of the biggest life events they go through. Yeah, 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 so you've also got to enjoy that process. You know, yes. that you don't want it to be um, overly, you know, it can be by its very nature, very information hungry, yeah. a little bit stressful. You know what, even though it's very financial and very technical, yeah. for, for people going through this process, it's also deeply personal yeah. and for many quite emotional. Yes. Uh, and I think, you know, from our point of view collectively, and I know you're on the same page, it's recognizing that that process that a client is going through as a whole and being yeah. able to help them manage through it. And actually, you know, even when they're having rocky days in the middle of a transaction, mm-hmm. helping them realize that's normal. That's OK. That's mm-hmm. part of what you're doing. You are doing something that's a business deal, yeah. but it's a strange overlap into your personal life as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we often, yeah, we, we like people to enjoy what they're doing and, and enjoy the experience of working together as well. Yeah, well, it, it's having that calming influence and working as a team with the clients is vitally important. Well, um, Simon, I, I would like to thank you for, for the podcast today. Obviously, no, if there's any interest out there, you can either phone Simon at Alinea or Steve uh, Aston at AGS Accountants. Uh, and look forward to doing something with you in the future again, Solomon. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Cheers.